This week's Simple Brand episode features a From the Vault discussion with Annette Franz, and it's all around creating a customer-centric culture so that you can deliver a truly customer-centric experience. We're currently taking a break during the month of December, and during that time, we're sharing some of our favorite customer experience-related episodes. In addition to this episode with Annette, you'll hear from some of my favorite customer experience discussions with guests like Dan Gingas, Margaret Malloy, and Nate Brown. So if you haven't heard those yet, you'll definitely want to check them out. Or you can just be like me and take a break during the holiday season. Then we'll be back next month with our regular schedule of all new interviews with all new guests. For now, enjoy this From the Vault discussion with Annette Franz. Who's making our products? Who's selling our products? Who's servicing our products? Like if we don't have employees who are having a great experience, they're not going to be happy. They're not going to be productive. I mean, it just trickles down the line, right? So I think that's an important one is that employees have to be more first. Welcome to the Simple Brand Podcast, the show dedicated to helping you create simple experiences for your customers and for your team members. Each week, we're bringing you amazing interviews with business leaders and authors who will teach you how to differentiate your business with the one thing your customers need the most, simplicity. Your customers live in a complex world. Let's make it simple. Now, here's your host, Matt Lyles. I got to tell you, there's a phrase that a lot of leaders say that is getting really overused. And I wouldn't mind hearing it so much if it turned out that this was actually true. And that's when leaders tell their teams or tell their customers, we put the customer at the center of everything we do. And once they say this, they think they've accomplished their job. And then yet each team then goes back to operate like they've always done, driving towards their own individual siloed goals. And most of those goals really have little to do with the customer's goal. Every time I see leaders say this, and I know for a fact that their customer experience is really lacking, I wish I could just magically bring Mari Povich out to say something like, you say you put the customer at the center of everything you do, but we've reviewed your customer experience and we have determined that that is a lie. And this happens more often than leaders think. Recently, a Capgemini study showed that While 75% of businesses believe they're customer-centric, only 30% of their customers actually agreed with that. So you can say that your brand is customer-centric all day long. But if your customer doesn't agree with you, then you've got a big problem. And I think that problem is even bigger when you're actually oblivious to it. Listen, delivering a truly customer-centric experience is pretty simple. It may not be easy, but it is simple. And it starts with your culture. It starts with you recognizing that your customer experience will not improve until you have an understanding of your customer and their needs instilled into everything that everyone across your organization does. Not just those teams that are customer-facing. A truly customer-centric experience starts with having a truly customer-centric culture. And I don't think enough leaders are talking about how to truly accomplish this. But this week's guest is. It's Annette Franz. 
Annette's the founder and CEO of CX Journey, Inc., a customer experience strategy consulting firm that helps their clients ensure that the customer is at the center of all they do. As a seasoned customer experience veteran with over 30 years of experience, Annette's held CX leadership roles at some of the top brands in the country, including J.D. Power, Fidelity, and Mattel. She's a highly sought-after speaker, she's a member of the Forbes Coaches Council, and she's the author of Customer Understanding, Three Ways to Put the Customer in Customer Experience. And her latest book was just released this month, Built to Win, Designing a Customer-Centric Culture that Drives Value for Your Business. While lots of experts are talking about the value of customer-centric experiences, there aren't enough lessons out there on how to build a customer-centric culture in your organization and how to ensure that the customer is fully ingrained into your organization's DNA, into every functional area. And that's just what Annette focuses on in Built to Win, and we take a deep-dive discussion into those lessons. So here it is. Here's my interview with Annette Franz. Hi, Annette. How are you? Welcome to the show. I'm good. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, yes. Well, this is exciting. Congrats. Congrats on your latest book, Built to Win. This is your second book, right? Thank you. Yes. Yes, it is. Excellent. Well, congratulations. I'm curious, what drove you to write Built to Win? So it's interesting. It's a similar story to what happened with the first one, you know, with my first book, Customer Understanding, because with that book, I was talking about these concepts. I was constantly like, whether it was presentations or webinar, whatever it was, I was constantly talking about these concepts. And one day I walked off stage and said, that's my book. And sort of the same thing happened with this one is I had been presenting, you know, this one has 10 foundational principles of, you know, building a customer-centric culture. And I'd been talking about eight and I'll have to tell you how I ended up with two more, but I had been talking about eight foundational principles of a customer-centric culture, probably for a couple of years prior to this. And what ended up happening was a publisher reached out to me, Advantage Forbes Books reached out to me and said, Hey, we'd love to publish your book. And I'd already been thinking about it, but this wasn't the book. The book was actually going to be about employee experience. And it just happened to hit me on a day where I had just just finished presenting those eight principles, you know, the day before. And I went, yeah, let's do this. I have an idea. (laughs) Nice. And so that was part of it. The other part of it was that, you know, I feel like people don't really understand what it means to be customer centric and what customer centricity really is. And I just wanted to put a stake in the ground out there to say, this is what it is. And this is what it entails, you know? It absolutely is. And going back to your point around having given the talk for a number of years on these foundational principles, to me, I think that helps you in solidifying your message, understanding what resonates with audiences, what doesn't resonate, and how you can hone it before you put it into book format. Yeah, absolutely. Great point. I was constantly getting great feedback about, yeah, you're right. That makes sense. And I was like, yeah, good. I'm glad this resonates. So yeah, that was absolutely spot on. Well, and so you've been able to talk to a number of audiences around customer centricity and help them understand what it means. But I still imagine that even though you've spoken to so many people, there's a lot of people that still need to better understand what it means to be customer centric. Because I think a lot of leaders will say that their organizations are customer centric, but a lot of times it really feels like lip service. 
And a lot of times, I don't think that they truly understand what it means to be customer-centric. So can you shed some light on it? Yeah. What does customer-centricity really mean? I totally agree with you. And I will just say that as I was writing the book and once I had the final manuscript to the publisher and I'm seeing people talking and posting things out on LinkedIn or wherever they were posting, I was like, you don't really know what this means. <laughs> this is not what you're talking about. What, what, what was the quote that I have in the book? It's the Inigo Montoya from Princess Bride. Yeah. I do, do not think that you, <laughs> you know. <laughs> you keep saying that word. He's saying that word. Yeah, I do not, not think you know what it means. <laughs> Inconceivable, right? <laughs> That's such a great movie. So this is how I define it. First of all, the thing that really struck me as people talk about customer centricity is it was like, oh, we have this customer centric person or this customer centric department or this customer centric message. And the crazy thing is it isn't just one person or one message or one department. It's enterprise wide. It flows through the DNA of the organization. And I always say it really means no discussions, no decisions, no designs without bringing in that customer voice, without really thinking about how is this going to impact the customer? How will it make her feel? What value will it bring to her? Taking all that into account when you're making policies, making decisions, you know, developing your processes, designing the experience, all of those things, right? So it's really about bringing the customer voice in. Everything that we do is because of the customer and for the best interest of the customer. And you say that that's an enterprise-wide discussion. So a lot of times, I think people will say, let's bring the customer in. Let's have this empty chair in our meeting. We're talking about our marketing, our products, our go-to-market strategy, all those things. But if it's an enterprise-wide focus, correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like you're saying you need to have the customer discussion, whether it's a discussion around operations or whether it's a discussion around our finance and accounting principles. Yeah, absolutely. And that's a great point. I always start presentations and conversations with the definition of what customer experience is. And then I talk about what it is not. And one of the things that I say about what it is, it's not just about what happens at the front line, right? So you just mentioned accounting and finance and and operations and some of the back office. The back office impacts the customer experience equally, right? I mean, they're developing those processes and and putting together the systems and they're putting together those invoices, accounting policies and compliance and the regulation and all, you know, they're focusing on all the things that happen behind the scenes that still impact the customer. We always think that the customer experience happens with the person on the phone with us or the person standing in front of us, the sales rep standing in front of us. But the back office has such an impact on the experience as well. And that's why, like I said, it has to flow through the DNA of the organization. If it doesn't, things are going to be really disjointed. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't think that those teams, those back office teams recognize that they may not see the customer. They may not interact with the customer, but their work impacts the customer. Exactly. Exactly. They don't. I don't think they do. Awesome. Okay. Well, so thank you for helping to shed light on that definition. Of course. Because that drives it home that it's enterprise wide. Yeah, absolutely. Well, then one of the things that you do in your book, and, and I don't think that I've seen this anywhere else before, you say there's a difference between, and you define the difference between being customer centric versus being customer focused. Yeah. What's the distinction between those two? 
And it's interesting because I really think that probably in the simplest or the shortest way to say it, one is tactical and the other is strategic, right? So customer-centric is enterprise-wide, like I just said. It has to be everybody in the organization, deep into the organization, everything we do. It's a way of doing business, right? Customer focus is really sort of that one-off. Hey, it was a customer-focused metric or, you know, our salesperson is customer-focused. Yeah, because when you're in front of the customer, hopefully, (laughs) hopefully you're doing what's right for the customer. You're taking the time to really just make it a good experience at that moment for that customer. Again, hope they are, but in a short way or in a simple way, uh, distinguish between the two is one is, one is really tactical. It's maybe what you're doing as you're talking to a customer, but customer-centric is, you know, flows through the DNA of the organization into our previous point, it's got to be enterprise-wide and back office and everybody's got to be in tune with no discussions, no decisions, no designs without bringing the customer voice into it. So so that's how I differentiate the two. Wow. And I never honestly thought of it that way. But then just to to hearken back to another 80s movie, I think it was 80s. Oh, yes. (laughs) I think of Keanu Reeves. When I read where you were making that distinction, I was Keanu Reeves going, whoa. (laughs) <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I don't think most people do make that distinction. And I think it is as simple as that. I think it's as simple as, okay, well, I'm focused on the customer and yeah, that's the person in front of me or whoever I'm dealing with this week, but it's not woven through the DNA and that's so critical. Yeah. And so hearing these definitions, hearing these distinctions, I'm hopeful that a number of brand leaders will hear them, we'll read them and say, oh, wow, we say we're customer centric, but we're actually not. Yeah. And maybe we're just customer focused, which is not a bad thing, but it's maybe the first step to in sort of the maturity process there. Right. Like taking, you know, taking baby steps, taking steps to be able to get there. Yes. And now your book Built to Win on the outset, it appears to focus on customer centricity. But when I dig into it, to me, it goes deeper and it really focuses on that overarching culture that's needed to drive customer centricity. Yeah. And a lot of brands will have, I don't know, specific teams, specific functional areas that they say drives the customer experience. So what's the value in building this type of organization-wide customer-centric culture? Yeah. Yeah. You know, and it's funny because the first principle is just that, that culture is the foundation and it's, yeah. <laughs> it seems weird to say that, but again, I think it drives home the point that it is about the culture. It is about woven into the DNA, right? It's not just something that happens here and there. It happens everywhere. It's part of everything we do. It's part of how we do business. So I think that's the really important thing. There are a ton of benefits to having a customer-centric culture too. I think one of the key points that happens, and there's a ton of them, there's customer slash people benefits. And as you probably seen the book, I mean, it focus a lot on the employees as well, but there are a lot of human benefits versus the business benefits. And, and I think on the human side, it's really about people feeling heard, people feeling understood, people feeling valued because we then we bring in that voice, we co-create with them. That leads to innovation, which leads to growth and competitive advantage and all these other things that ultimately translate to you know good things for the business. So those are just a high level, some of the benefits of having this customer-centric culture. Oh yeah, absolutely. And that speaks to part of our human nature. Like every single person 
wants to feel valued. And when you feel like you're heard, when you feel like you're understood, that's when you feel valued. And I think that it goes further. Once you feel valued, you're much more loyal to that person or that organization that helps you feel valued, whether you're an employee being more loyal or whether you're a customer being more loyal. Yep, exactly. Hit the nail on the head. Absolutely. Yay. (laughs) So we've talked about the benefits, the values of having a customer-centric culture. I'm curious, are there any traps or are there any obstacles that prevent brands from having a customer-centric culture? I would say the number one trap or barrier or thing that gets in the way is the CEO and the executive team, right? The leadership team. If they're not on board, it's going to be really hard to design that culture. I always say that the culture is deliberately designed from the top by the CEO and by the leadership team to be the way that it is. It's either designed or you get what you allow, right? If we deliberately design it that way, then we're out there modeling the behavior, we're reinforcing the behavior. And then ultimately between that top down. And then we've also, once employees get it, and this is why culture is, you know, core values plus behaviors, right? We've got these core values. We define what the behaviors are for each of those core values. Once they get it, once they know, once those values have been socialized and operationalized, they take it and run with it. Now it's what I call grassroots groundswell, right? Now it's bottom up as well. But I believe that it has to be designed from the top down to begin with. And if leadership, the CEO isn't committed to do that or executives aren't all committed and aligned, it has to be both commitment and alignment because it has to be the entire team, then employees will feel it. Customers will feel it. It'll just be this very disparate and dysfunctional, (laughs) disjointed experience for everybody. Right. Yeah. I've seen this too many times where you'll see where the CEO says that this is important, especially if you're talking about customer centricity. This is important. This is what we want our culture to be. Okay, CMO or chief revenue officer or chief customer officer, you make that happen. And at the same time, you've got CIO, CFO, COO, whoever else that are in these meetings with them saying, hey, how's that customer centricity culture going? Yeah, right. Exactly. (laughs) So that speaks to the need, like it has to be aligned across every leader. Exactly. Exactly. And alignment is a concept too that I think is probably misunderstood, but it means that there's been a conversation. Everybody's been heard. Everybody's thrown their ideas out there or their pros and their cons about what we're doing, why we're doing it. But in the end, they decide to be aligned and they commit to that, right? And it is getting everybody on board. And then there's no meeting after the meeting or any of those other things that it's just everybody walks away in support of what we're doing, right? One of my favorite quotes or definitions about a team, you know, because we talk about a leadership team comes from a book by Miles Kearson. It's a, the power of the executive team alignment, what I believe the title of the book is, but he talks about what an executive team is. And he says, it's not really a team. <laughs> he says, it's really more of a group of people who are, you know, working together. And that's not what a team is, right? A team is a group of people that's committed to common goals and committed to each other and aligned on what they're doing. So very awesome distinction there in terms of what a team is versus not. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And then going back to how you were describing it earlier, 
you were talking about you have your culture set in place. These are the values. And then from the values, these are the behaviors. And then in your book, and I wish that I could go back in my career and have defined it this way too, because I would focus on defining behaviors as well. But you take it a step further and say, these are the behaviors that tie to our values. Yep. And these are the unacceptable behaviors that do not tie to our values. And I don't think that enough leaders take that extra step. Can you walk me through that? I would agree. You know, and it's funny because I've seen others who have gone through this exercise, you know, and I've seen it with clients and they've talked about it. We're like, yeah, we outline what that means in terms of how our operationalize each of these values. But nobody has ever said, as far as I've seen, let's tell them what they can't do, (laughs) you know? Right. Right. The whole thing about values is so people know the difference between what's right and wrong. It's that whole, you know, it's what employees do when nobody's looking, but nobody, I don't know of anybody who's said, okay, here's what it means here. Here's what those behaviors look like, but here's what it doesn't look like. Right. So yeah, I think that's so important because oftentimes somebody's going to test the water and why not, you know? And so I think we need to just frame it that way so that people know what's acceptable and what's not. And there's no gray area. Yeah. And we can look back and we can see all sorts of examples over the past few decades of where organizations or brands or leaders or teams, a lack of integrity, demonstrated a lack of ethical behavior. And I can certainly think that in those cultures, they did not have those anti-behaviors, those unacceptable (laughs) behaviors defined. I don't even know if they had the acceptable behaviors defined. (laughs) Probably not. (laughs) When we talk about what it takes to create a customer-centric culture. You referred to these earlier as your 10 foundational principles. It used to be eight, you added two more, now they're 10. But can you walk through some of your favorite principles here? Yeah, we talked about a couple of them already. We talked about culture as the foundation. We've talked about leadership commitment and alignment. So there's five of them. Besides the leadership one, there's really five of them that connect to people, right? Because we we always have to remember that this is all about the people, right? The third one is about the employee experience. And this is such an important one because I, and this one I say, employees come more first. And the the publisher was like, is that a typo? And I said, no, it's not a typo. (laughs) They come more first. And that comes from Hal Rosenbluth's book, The Customer Comes Second. What an amazing book. If you've never read that book, I would say grab it and read it. It's such a good book. And he really does talk about if we're going to put the customer first, we have to put the employee more first. And it's about that whole equation of employee experience drives the customer experience. So I think that is probably one of my favorite ones for a variety of reasons. There's such a disconnect. There are so many people who don't make that connection at all. And, you know, and I've sat in meetings with clients in leadership team meetings where the someone on the leadership team will say, oh, I never even thought about that. Or why are we talking about culture? Why are we talking about, what? you know, that kind of thing. And it's like, it's mind boggling <laughs> because who's making our products, who's selling our products, who's servicing our products. Like if we don't have employees who are having a great experience, they're not going to be happy. They're not going to be productive. I mean, it just, trickles down the line, right? So I think that's an important one is that employees have to be more first. And I think the other ones that I talk about, I'll talk about three others. I'll just kind of lump them together. Sure. People before products, profits, and metrics, right? Right. Those are three of the principles. 
And when I talk about people, I actually mean employees, customers, like any people, you know, it could be your vendors, could be your partners, it could be your licensees or franchisees or whoever they are, but we have to put people before that. So if we don't, then what are we doing this for? The people and the focus on the people is really the means to the outcomes. Products are outcomes, profits are outcomes, metrics are outcomes, right? But the people are how we get there, how we develop our products, who develops our products. If we focus on the people, the profits will come. If we deliver a great experience for everybody, the profits will come. And too many times metrics come before the people and we see it in bad behavior. So I started my career 30 years ago at J.D. Power & Associates, right? And back in the day, and it still happens today, I bought a car just recently and it still happens today, but it wasn't quite as egregious as it was back in the day. But, you know, it was, hey, you've got, you're going to get a survey and please, you know, rate me a 10 out of 10. And if you don't, I'm going to get fired. I'm going to not get my promotion. I'm not going to get my commission. And they're going to take my first part, whatever. It's a bad experience for the employee. It's it's such an icky thing for the employee to have to beg for that. Of course. Yeah. And it's a bad experience for a customer. So if we focus on what that employee experience is like, so that they have the tools, the resources, everything they, they need, that salesperson needs to sell a car and ensure that the customer's having a great experience, we don't have to beg for the score, right? I mean, that, that's not going to happen. So that's why I say people before the metrics do. Excellent. Did you know that in addition to my podcast and my articles, I speak to audiences all over to help them simplify their customer experience and simplify their employee experience? I've spent the last few years leading a crusade of simplicity across the globe. If you want a winning brand, you have to provide a simple experience to your customers and to your team members. Whether it's a live event or a virtual event, I'd love to partner with you and teach your audience how to do just that. With over a decade in marketing, I know how to hook and captivate an audience. And as a speaker, I know how to connect with that audience. Along with my lessons, I use stories and humor to keep everyone engaged and inspired. Then they leave with the knowledge and next steps to transform their business. As an event planner, you're managing lots of details to give your audience the most memorable event. The last thing you need is a speaker who will make your event memorable for all the wrong reasons. Not only will I leave your audience energized and inspired, I'll make it easy for your team to work with me. Hey, if I've built my brand around simplicity, then you know I'm going to make it simple for you. When you visit mattliles.com speaking, you'll find everything you need to know, including details on my topics, promotional materials, and most importantly, a link to connect with my team so we can book your event. So visit mattliles.com speaking. I can't wait to help your audience brand out from the crowd. And I really appreciate how you also included vendors, franchisees in there as well. A lot of times when companies say, you know, like we take care of our people, we put our people first, they're talking about their employees, they're talking about their customers, but it's those agencies, those vendors, those freelancers, those strategic alliances and third parties, they play just as much of a role in delivering that customer experience as the employees do. Yeah, here's the interesting thing about that. And it's so true. If you think about a franchisor and their franchisees, 
customers don't look at it that way. Customers look at the brand, right? right. And they're like one brand. I mean, Starbucks, Starbucks has corporate owned stores and they have the licensed stores. I can guarantee you very few people think about, oh, well, that's a, and they call it Tarbucks, the ones in Target. Oh, well, that's not a corporate store. (laughs) Or the ones in the airport. Oh, that's not a corporate store, right? They don't. They think about it. That's Starbucks. And I had Starbucks down the street from my house last week and it was awesome. And here I am in the airport. I'm going to have the same experience. And you may not, right? And so the focus really has to be on making sure that franchisees, licensees, vendors, partners, everybody has a great experience so that by extension, the customers can have a great experience too. That's it. And now one of your principles that you talk about in the book is customer understanding is the cornerstone. And this harkens back to your first book, also titled Customer (laughs) Understanding. So I'm curious, how can brands go about ensuring that they truly understand their customer? Yeah. Well, it's interesting. I have in that first book, I wrote about three ways to do that. And I've always said, at least those are the only three ways I can come up with. If anybody else comes up with any other ways, I'm always happy to listen to them. But I call it listen, characterize, and empathize. And listen is about feedback and data, right? Feedback, however we get that, and data. The breadcrumbs of data customers leave behind is interact and transact with the brand. The second one is characterize, which is all about doing the work, doing the research, talking to your customers, understanding who they are, and developing personas. And then the third one, empathize, is about journey mapping. With your customers, customers are telling you, here's how you can walk in my shoes We're going to develop those journey maps with our customers. Notice all of these things are obviously with customers, talking to customers, interviewing customers. And I think what ends up happening is a lot of people, especially on the second and third one, kind of phone it in. (laughs) They're like, hey, let's sit around and figure out what we think the experience is. And that's not the way that it can be done. How can we understand our customers if we don't actually talk to them, right? If we don't actually sit and talk to them and hear them and listen to them. Right. Yeah, absolutely. You cannot make those assumptions. You've got to be able to listen to them. I also think that it's important to observe the customer as well. You can do that just by by literally just observing them or like you said, put yourself in their shoes and go throughout their day just as they would go throughout your customer journey just as they would. Because sometimes customers may say one thing, but then when you observe them, it may be a little different. Yeah. How easy was it for you to find this particular page on our website? That was pretty easy. You know, yeah. I thought it was fun. Yeah, but it, it looked like it took you about five minutes. Right. <laughs> yep. <laughs> but I appreciate how you put those into those three categories. You know, listen, yep. characterize, empathize. Thank you. If only there was a way to add or like to change listen where it ends with eyes. Listen, eyes. Listen, eyes. <laughs> I tried. Trust me, I tried. I couldn't come up oh, with anything. So. <laughs> understood. It, it still works. It still works. <laughs> now, one of the things that you talk about in your book is to focus on outside in mm-hmm. versus inside out. Yep. And I've got a grasp on that, but I think, I mean, I may need a little bit more explanation. So can you help me better understand this concept? Yeah. And I think here's a simple way to put this. And I was just thinking about it, as you said something earlier, the outside in is when the conversation goes, I know our customers, da, 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 da. And the inside out conversation goes, I think our customers want, or, you know, that. So outside in is bringing in that customer voice into everything that we do. We know our customers and we know what problems they're trying to solve because we talk to them and we bring that voice in. Inside out is, 
well, I think I know the customer. I think it's really about the executives and employees saying, we know what's best for our customers. We don't need to go and talk to them and ask because we think we know. So that's the difference. It's I know versus I think, you know, I think that's probably the a simple way to differentiate the two. Gotcha. Yeah. And, and then that I think thinking to me speaks to making assumptions. Yeah, exactly. A funny story. I was meeting with a client. This is probably about two years ago. Meeting with a client. We're sitting there in a conference room. We're talking about some journey mapping work that we're going to do. And the conversation very quickly shifted to, I think the customer... And I said, hang on a second, guys. (laughs) The next time anybody says, I think the customer, put a dollar in the jar. There happened to be a jar (laughs) on the table. I'm like, put a dollar in the jar and let's see how quickly that thing fills up. So... There you go. And and that's a visual reminder too. Yeah. Oh, you know what? No, like we need to make sure. And I think what leaders need to understand too is that customer expectations and customer requirements can grow and change and evolve over time. Oh yeah. So you may be able to say, hey, based on research that we did five years ago, yeah. I know the customer wants this. Well, what does the customer say today? Because 2022 is a lot different than oh, yeah. 2019 even. Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. And there's so many reasons that expectations change. Obviously over the last year, two years, we've seen some of the things that cause expectations to change. But business changes customers change, customers' needs change, the industry changes, the products change and evolve. And you've brought in new businesses, you you know, you acquired other businesses, you've added to your product line, whatever it is, right? There's so many different reasons that expectations change. And it's so important to understand those expectations and, and why they change too. So, and I think that was one of the things that we learned in the last two years with the pandemic is, well, why did expectations change? Why are things different? So- Exactly. Yeah. And understanding why. Yeah. Yep. Huge. Well, I want to talk about my favorite principle. All right. Which is forget the golden rule. And we're talking about the platinum rule, which I was familiar with a few years ago, but I start to use it so much more lately. Yeah. But I want to understand and I want to hear it from you because it's not that commonly known, especially in customer experience. So how can we get brands to better understand the platinum rule and how to apply it? Yeah. So before I tell you that funny story, I know you had Shep hiking on your show not too long ago. Yes. He's awesome. He is awesome. And I was just on his podcast not too long ago. We were talking about this rule and he goes, and I said, I didn't know that there was actually a person, like this is a registered trademark and there's actually a person behind this rule. It wasn't just something somebody randomly said one day and it's a registered trademark, you know? And he goes, yeah, Dr. Tony Alessandra, do you know him? And I said, no, I know of him because of this rule. And he said, well, he lives down in your neck of the woods in Southern California. I'll make an introduction. So now Dr. Tony Alessandra and I are having lunch in a couple of weeks. So I mean, wow. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to that. So that'll be very cool. But yeah. So it's interesting because so the golden rule is treat others the way that you want to be treated. And that's so inside out, <laughs> you know, it's, it's sort of right. inside out. It is inside out thinking. Treat others the way you want to be treated. And the platinum rule is treat others the way that they want to be treated, right? That's outside in. Treat others the way that they want to be treated. And I start that chapter off with a story from Dale Carnegie's book. The book is called How to Win Friends and Influence People, right? He loves strawberries and cream. And this is such an extreme story, right? Yeah. He loves strawberries and cream, but he's going to go fishing and 
<laughs> put strawberries and cream on the fishing pole to try to catch fish. Well, fish don't like strawberries and cream. So why should I force what I like on the fish that I'm trying to catch? Right. So that, you know, obviously that's the whole win, winning friends and thing, but and it's such an extreme example, but it's a good analogy for what the platinum rule is and means. Right. So let's find out how others want to be treated and treat them the way that they want to be treated. Yeah, that's it. And to me, that goes back to understanding the customer and through those three categories of understanding and listening to them, characterizing them and empathizing with them. Exactly. Absolutely. And then not making assumptions, you know, because I love chocolate ice cream, (laughs) I think our customers like chocolate ice cream too. Right. Right. Exactly. And there you use that word think again, I think. So yeah, absolutely. Well, one thing you did with the book and how you closed it out, I really like how you closed out the book with an open letter to the C-suite on how to think differently and on why customer centricity is so important. So I'm curious, what do you see as one of the biggest obstacles to getting C-suite leaders to buy into the value of creating a customer-centric culture? Yeah, I think you just said it, right? It's that whole notion of ROI and what is the value and helping them understand that and helping them see that, right? It's having to build this business case around, and I have this, it wasn't the same letter, but I had closed out the first book with a letter to the CEO as well, but it was sort of the same notion, right? Or the same thought process of why do we have to build the business case for focusing on customers. That's why we're in business, right? We're in business because of and about and for the customer. So do we really have to build the business case for that? But I still think the CEO is the biggest obstacle, right? And the obstacle has to be overcome by educating them, helping them see the connection between that culture and the outcomes. And there are a lot of examples in the book of a bunch of different brands who have gone from, oh boy, this isn't, this is a bad culture and this isn't working to, oh wow. And, and quite honestly, Starbucks is an example there. Campbell's Soup Company is an example. There are a lot of examples where things were sort of faltering and, and the CEO came in, a new CEO or the existing CEO had an aha moment and said, you know what, we need to fix the culture and that will, will fix things down the line. So I'm not sure if I answered your question. I think it went roundabout way, but it is really about the realization that there is that connection and then building that business case for those who don't get it and really educating those who don't get it to help them understand that there is a connection here. Absolutely. Oh, there is. Would you mind walking me through that Campbell soup example? I'd love to hear that one. Yeah. You know what? It's interesting because Doug Conant was the CEO at Campbell Soup Company and 132-year-old company that he, quote unquote, inherited, right? Right. (laughs) The company that he inherited was really in rough shape. Their market value had dropped. There were a bunch of factors for that. But one of the biggest things was the whole what we've talked about already, changing customers' needs and expectations, changing customers, right? And who are our customers now? And so he came in and you know basically said, I'm going to get that culture back on track because right now it's not where it needs to be, right? We're not innovative. We're not focusing our, on our customers. We're not bringing in and taking, taking time to understand them and bring that in to design and develop products that customers really want. And this is that, again, too, that whole notion of people before products, right? Yeah. So he obviously, there were a couple of things with him, right? You have to have the right leader. I think that's so important, the the right leader who gets it. And the other thing that I think was important about that story is that 
leaders have to live the culture too. It's not, we don't have these core values just for employees. You know, the leaders have to, the executives have to live them too. And they have to model them. They have to reinforce them. And it's so important that we have to know that what's good for the goose is good for the gander, right? That's right. Everybody's got to live the culture, right? And then I think the other thing is that another point that that story made in his turnaround of Campbell Soup Company was that an innovative culture The customer-centric culture really is an innovative culture. If we bring the customer in, if we take the time to understand them, we will have what we need. You know, we'll co-create with them. We have what we need to innovate and to develop new products and to grow and to right the ship again. So I think that's so important. It absolutely is. And then I think being able to have and showcase and share success stories like these, that helps in going back to that letter to the CEO. Absolutely. That helps in helping them understand, hey, we're not just talking about this at a high level. Like on smoke here. Here are real world examples of how this has helped turn companies around. And the same can happen with our company too. Exactly. I think that's such a critical thing. You know, it really is. If we're building the business case, we do it with our own data, but we also bring in stories from the outside to say, hey, this can be done. And I get it. Culture is different from company to company. You can't copy somebody else's culture, but it's just the concept of culture is so important to the business and to the outcomes of the business. Yeah. It's the whole, it's why it's important. And here's the framework around how we can do that for ourselves. Exactly. Hooray. Well, Last question for you. If you were to create a five song soundtrack for Built to Win, what songs would you include? (laughs) Well, you know, the very first song that comes to my mind, and this shouldn't be a surprise to anybody, all I do is win (laughs) DJ Khaled. (laughs) (laughs) I cannot get that song out of my head right now. So that is that is it. Okay, so that's the first one. I would say the next one would be Twisted Sister. We're not going to take it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Got a little throwback to, I don't remember what year that was, but a little throwback there too, right? Probably 84. Because okay. to me, I think 84 was like the peak year in 80s pop culture. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. Absolutely. I'm going to say Aerosmith, Sweet Emotion. I think we have to bring in, you know, have to take the time to understand how we make our customers feel, how we make our employees feel. I think that's a huge part of the experience is the feelings and the emotions and the perception. So I think sweet emotion is a good one. Another one is, I think I've gone retro on most of these or all of these, (laughs) except for maybe DJ Khaled. That might be the, the newest one. Number four, I think would be Change. And that's a song by John Waite. Oh, yeah. That's such a good song. And then number five, and I do have a bonus one, but I'm going to just say number five is R-E-S-P-E-C-T from Aretha Franklin, right? So we want respect. I mean, that's what it's all about, respect. Yeah. And then the bonus one is Bob Seger's Turn the Page. I just thought that was a good one. Like that whole transformation thing, right? It's like, let's turn the page. So there we go. Oh, there you go. Yeah. And, you know, just speaking of the fact that you don't just make the decision once and just set it and forget it, you know, things evolve. So you got to keep going. Yeah. I love that question. Thank you for asking that. I think that's such a cool, that's that's a fun way to think about it. (laughs) Very cool. Well, it's fun for me too. And it's fun hearing everybody else's take on different songs and sometimes like injecting their own likes into the songs too. Right. (laughs) Awesome. Well, I've learned so much from you today, but 
where can people go to learn more? Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate this. So I actually have a new website. So it's AnnetteFranz.com. And that one is really all about, so I still have CX-Journey.com, but AnnetteFranz.com is all about the books and my speaking uh, work. I love to connect with people on LinkedIn. I've met some people and have some great connections there. So yeah, always happy to connect with people on LinkedIn. Excellent. Excellent. And good for you for being open to connecting with people like that. That's appreciated. Yeah, I'm going to tell you, I really have met some really awesome people. So, so yeah, thank you. Hooray. I have too. Well, thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate this. Thanks for having me. This was a great conversation and you asked some great questions. So thank you for that. I hope you enjoyed this from the vault discussion with Annette Franz. So go and learn more from her at AnnetteFranz.com. You'll find lots of lessons to help you understand how to deliver a truly customer-centric experience. And be sure and check out her book, Built to Win. It's going to help you and your leadership understand the steps you need to take to make sure you truly have the customer at the center of everything you do. And that's across all of your functional areas, not just the customer-facing ones. Hey, For the rest of December, we'll be sharing more from the vault episodes that focus on helping you create and deliver simple customer experiences. You'll hear from Dan Gingas, Margaret Malloy, and Nate Brown. So if you haven't heard those episodes yet, you'll definitely want to check them out. Then we'll be back at the beginning of the year with all new guests and all new episodes. Until then, keep it simple. Mm